Hello, you're listening to Deeply Curious. My name is Cody Jensen, and joining me in our Portland studio apartment is my wife, Sarah. Hello. Deeply Curious is produced by Christian B. Schmidt and associate produced by Greg and Christy Jensen with additional support by the staff and crew members of the Jensen AV Club and with a special shout out to Ivor Lobo and James Hayes who joined us uh, this week. Hello. If you um, would like more information or would like to know how you can get deeper access or exclusive content, um, you can head over to jensenav.club. That is our Patreon page. It's how you can support the art that we are creating while also getting a few perks for yourself. <laughs> um, in this episode, I want to talk about feeling things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe feeling too much mm-hmm. um, and not feeling enough. Um, I read a column um, from a modern philosopher, columnist, writer. Um, I'm not sure exactly what his title would be, but he's a writer for The Guardian. His name is Oliver Berkman, and he writes a column every week that I very much enjoy called This Column Will Change Your Life. And in this particular column, it is titled Snowflake or Tough Cookie, You're Just Hiding from Pain. Mm, I already agree. (laughs) Um, And so the gist of kind of a snowflake versus, you know, tough cookie um, is snowflake. Berkman describes as the 20 something university student who can't hear a vaguely challenging opinion without melting into a puddle of panic. And we've talked about this, uh, I think, in the past on the podcast, whenever we talked a little bit about the coddling of the American mind by uh, Jonathan Haidt. Yeah. Um, and just how these basically exactly what, what I just said, just like the young 20 somethings of, you know, our American. Uh, Gen Z. Yeah, the, the Gen right. Zers. Um, just not being able to handle a challenging opinion, no matter how small that opinion <laughs> like right. is challenged. And then what... You know, we're also talking about is the other side of uh, thick skin. I really like what Oliver uh, said, uh, talking about the snowflakes of at this point, there are simply too many tales of young people demanding protection from the discomfort of other viewpoints to resist the conclusion that what they really need in most cases is to grow a thicker skin, (laughs) Um, which is just a beautifully crafted uh, um, yeah. Dis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then uh, the very next sentence is, and yet thick skin has its issues too. Basically talking about how there is also similar mm-hmm. equal problems with uh, having a thick skin in the fact that you turn into a stoic. Right. And as a uh, philosopher, Todd May points out, there's something about all this that smacks of emotional invulnerabilism mm-hmm. of the idea that we might extricate ourselves from the world's contingencies so they do not affect us. Yeah, that would be like toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, don't cry. Don't show emotion. Be solid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, and, and taking that to the extreme of, uh, you know, like the Stoics, um, mm-hmm. you know, philosophy. Uh, Oliver was talking about that and then it ta- wrapping up the thicker skin issue um, mm-hmm. says, a meaningful life entails feeling pain, not ensuring you never do. Yeah. You know, going, making that point that there is those that fight off feeling pain right. by trying to avoid anything that confronts Mm-hmm. you know, or challenges who they are. Then there's the other side of having, you know, two inch thick skin mm-hmm. where you're just not letting anything affect you so that you never have to feel. Basically, vul- invulnerability manifests itself in two ways, right? Is yeah. what it's saying. On the extremes, like, yeah. Yeah, like it manifests itself by either being too sensitive so that you know, you surround yourself with only the things that look like you and whatever, and not sensitive at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are like the two ways that invulnerability kind of like becomes a thing. That is exactly how vulnerability manifests itself within the two people on this podcast. That's true, (laughs) actually. (laughs) Our whole lives. I have, I struggle to feel. Right. I do not understand um, crying in movies. Like I 
it is something that I want to do. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, I have this desire of like, I want to feel so deeply in this movie that I cry and movies that make me tear up and very, very few have like made a one single tear, you know, and drop down my face. <laughs> Those movies become, end up becoming some of my favorite movies. Right. Like the movies that I, like whenever people ask, what are your favorite movies? And I talk about those, all of them are because they make me feel. Mm -hmm. They may not be like artistic masterpieces. They may not be best picture winners, things like that. Right. But they actually make me feel. And that's why they became some of my favorite movies. Yeah, I think um, it's very evident, I guess, like you were saying between the two of us, because I do feel like you have a, a difficult time sometimes uh, sympathizing or... Um, you've gotten a lot better, like as you've gotten older. Yes, like, I've definitely like, sought e to feel. Yeah, you're not you're just this like cold, rigid person. But I do think sometimes your immediate response can still be, um, like I, I don't know. without mercy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say like unsympathetic or um, unempathetic, but I mean because my natural state, my natural response would be. Clear cut, practical, very truth. logical. Yeah. So it's whatever is the most logical, practical truth answer. Mm -hmm. That is the immediate thing that I that I'm going to say. Right. And I do not see the feelings in it. Right. Like I do not like consider like th this. I, if I say this, right. You know, th this person may take that you know the wrong way or see me right. think that I'm angry at them because of what I said. You know that type of thing. I years struggled with you know, mm -hmm. that. Um, and then I went on a literal like journey mm -hmm. of finding more empathy in my life and helped me like figure out those things of like, this is the practical, mm -hmm. you know, truth or whatever, but this person, you know, feels this way or, or, you know, whatever it is, practical, you know, et cetera, and et so have to, you know, put this in a uh, nice city sandwich. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> nice city sandwich. Yeah. I think you definitely operate off of thinking and I definitely operate off of feeling. So like I'm the exact opposite. But what's funny about that is most people are, are on a spectrum of, yeah. you know, uh, feeling and logical. Right. And we are on the two opposite ends. Yeah. Like I am as far over into logical you can get without right. having a diagnosed uh, behavioral uh, like <laughs> disorder, disorder or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then you basically on the other end. Logic is nothing to me. You, have, you are on the complete <laughs> feeling side all the way up until the point where you do not have a diagnosed yeah. <laughs> yeah, personality disorder. It's true. I think um, it's probably why we argue so much. <laughs> because we do approach it from completely different uh, ground I mean, levels. Yeah. Like, like Foundations. Foundations, yeah. yes. Like there... I mean, if you're not a feeler, you were, you're not going to understand somebody who is like feeling, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or like, I don't know. It's just like really easy for me to be like, oh, like I just look at something. Oh, for example, I saw this like photo on Twitter the other day and it was a this like telephone pole on the corner of a neighborhood that they mm -hmm. were taking down and replacing with a new one. And somebody typed up this whole letter about it and just like i've served you this neighborhood for decades and it's changed over time and like just you know going on about i hope i get made into toothpicks and whatever but it made me cry <laughs> and i don't even really know why but there was this one sentence that said um talking about all the staples that it had in it were evidence of all of the garage sales and the lost pets and things like that. And it said, socks, cinnamon, poncho, and the rest, I hope you made it home. I hope I do too. And I just literally burst into tears. Like I was so emotional about it. I don't even really, I mean, I, I guess like you can kind of deduce like why that would make someone feel like they should cry or whatever. But like, I don't really know why it made me cry. It just made me cry mm -hmm. <laughs> because there's something like under the surface feeling that I I think I'm very attuned to. And so 
it doesn't have to really make sense to me in order for it to like just really affect me. Whereas like for you, you're very, you're a very logical person. So like, if it doesn't make sense, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, you know? it, well, in the, in the, um, that realm of things of just like, you feel something and you're like, I feel like something, you know, whatever. I don't have a great example. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like baffled. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> obviously that's not even, that's make-believe. Yeah. Oh, we've had so many arguments that start out like that. Oh, well, I think for a long time, part of our uh, misunderstandings um, was like how I feel about um, just life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like how if you really sit down and think about it, how, um, you know, we're stuck in this routine of when you grow up, you have to get a job because you have to be able to afford your life. And and then you're really wasting the majority of your life working for money that doesn't really matter because you have to be able to live in a place that doesn't really matter. And, you know, like there's like all that like philosophical, what is really, what is life really about kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the culture or the um, economical uh, system that we live in now isn't really what we were meant to live in is kind of how I feel, you know? Mm. And like, I've, I have all these philosophical debates with myself about it all the time. And you would always be like, yeah, but you have to. <laughs> I'm like, no, I know I have to, but I'm not talking about like, what do I need to do? I'm talking about how it's not fair. Mm. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but you have to. <laughs> like, you couldn't, you couldn't really understand that it's not about like what I do and do not have to do, but about like, the principle of the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we used to argue about that all the time. Yeah, just it was like the the there was no practicality in the opinion. Right, because there's literally nothing you can change about it. Mm-hmm. So and and so you were like, well, it doesn't matter. You just have to. <laughs> yeah. But what's really funny about that is the fact that that was you in your early twenties. Um, and I was like go you know i i had full force full force doing this thing and like had my life figured out you know all that type of stuff Mm -hmm. and that you were asking all these questions and then 10 years later i'm turning 30 and i start basically questioning and asking and saying all of the exact same things that Mm. you just said Mm -hmm. um because i went on a journey of more feeling yeah so i think if i, I never would have felt i, I never know. would be in a, a position now of being in a uh quarter life crisis essentially. i know i think i messed up <laughs> <laughs> i was too vocal about <laughs> you made me feel too much <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> whatever <laughs> but yeah i do think we approach things completely different yeah in everything like like i I, I don't know of two people who look at things so opposite than what we do. Right. I think that's the that's the beauty and the dynamic of the beauty of the dynamic of like our relationship is the fact that we do start from a from a head and a heart perspective. Yeah. But we have the same goal. Right. And so when we point the head and the heart towards the same goal, you get something that is full bodied and like you know yeah i mean you're much more capable of like again full force ahead just like disciplined drive okay this is the idea this is i'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. whereas i'm like much more (laughs) lax and i'm sort of like on a windy road (laughs) that (laughs) leads nowhere (laughs) and you're just like straight straight ahead i'm gonna get this done so it's kind of nice but it is um as long as your windy road intersects with my Straight road. Every you know, once in a every while. Every once in a while. Yeah, it, it it can be a little frustrating sometimes, but I do think it's beneficial overall. Because I do think like logical thinking is important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that that goes into the core of with you being an Enneagram 4 and myself being an Enneagram 8 and the fact that they uh, the, the books say mm-hmm. that we, the 4 and the 8, make one of the most contentious but creative yeah relationships it it uses the word volatile but <laughs> yes specifically yeah makes me feel a little worse about it but 
yeah, it does say that we can be the most volatile, but the most creative pairing. So if you can keep your, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't stuff together. Then. Yeah, I don't feel like that we have ever dipped into the most volatile, um, but also we haven't dipped into the most creative. So maybe we right. need to fight more. Maybe. <laughs> Please don't. Then I could write an awesome album. I think think maybe we are you enough. I don't even write music, but if we have a you know big enough fight, (laughs) I might. Maybe you would. You'd turn turn your creative outlets. I feel like, um, yeah, I don't think we're super volatile, but I do think we argue a lot. Like I think our natural states are: I'm right, both of us. Like I, Mm -hmm. I think I am correct. Um, in yeah. a lot of different ways, <laughs> like every way. <laughs> well, it's because you, your feelings are correct. Right. That's what I'm and saying. My thoughts because are correct. And we have to figure out where do they come together? <laughs> exactly. We're on completely different foundations and we start from, no, 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 you need to understand my feeling mm-hmm. foundation. And you're like, no, 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 this is purely logical over yes. here. <laughs> so like, I think, um, it, it leads to a lot of arguments it's funny. Uh, there's a lot of our conversations that we completely agree with each other. And we both have to say, I'm not arguing with you. But we're 100% arguing. Like we're in an argument of tone. We're argument. We're cutting each other yeah. off and we're talking. But literally, we think the exact same thing. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying the way I think about it. And Sarah is saying the way she feels about it. And both of us feel like we're saying opposite things. Yeah, even though we're saying the exact same thing. <laughs> and, and neither of us actually lets up. You know what I mean? Like, um, like I'll say, I know, I agree with you. I'm just saying, you know, whatever. And then I say and then, the exact yeah. same thing. And then I'm like, and well, then you're like, if you agree, do you want to say that? <laughs> because I feel like because we're in an argumentative um, situation, I feel like we don't agree. And so I have to like keep arguing until you agree, even though logically I know that you agree. <laughs> I'm like, every sentence I start, I'm like, I agree with everything you just said. I'm on the same page. Here is an additional thought to what you just said that is in agreement to it. Exactly. And then I'll say that thing. And then she's like, but blah, blah. And I'm like, (laughs) I keep arguing. I I agree. But you do the same thing. I know. Because you also, we're both very stubborn and a little bit spiteful. And so we just like, we are capable of fighting to the death for the things we believe in. Both of us. Like we're very strongly opinionated and, you know, whatever. So you fight to the death of the thing that you believe in. And it's the same thing that I agree with you, but I'm fighting to the death because the foundations are different. So it feels a little like, mm-hmm. you know. I just looked that up in the dictionary and the definition, the uh, word for that is spite. Oh yeah, I'm very spiteful. <laughs> I don't, I used to deny it, but I don't deny it anymore. And I don't think, I mean, I know spite is not like the best quality to have, but I don't think it's, you know, a little bit of spite is a good thing, I, f- I feel like, sometimes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but what's another thing that I was thinking about this with um, the feeling and the thinking is you just talked about how we argue a lot. Yeah. I wouldn't say that we argue a lot. Really? Um, in the same way that whenever we were first married and I, you know, for the first three years. Yeah, that's true. Like, I literally thought everything was going hunky-dory. <laughs> And Sarah is over here like, where's the nearest razor blade? Yeah. And I had no idea because I'm just in the, like, I'm not considering the feelings of the room at all. My thoughts are everything seems fine. Nobody's throwing anything. Everybody's doing their, you know, duties and, you know, we're sleeping in the same bed. Like, I don't like, we're just doing the thing. And, and I was uh, wildly this depressed. This is all a sham. We're doing all the things. <laughs> I was wildly depressed. <laughs> that's true. But uh, yeah, I guess that's just like our significant foundational difference. Yeah. And so even even now, um, you know, it was it was extreme when we first got married. Right. But now I would, you know, I we definitely like argue, but I wouldn't agree with the statement we argue all the time. Huh. Maybe we argue a medium amount then. Because I feel like it's all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But also you are the world's biggest exaggerator. No, see, uh, whatever. We don't have to get into that. I feel like 
We argue Ooh, a lot. That actually is a really good thing. Um, because the exaggeration mm-hmm. thing is another example of feeling versus thinking. Yes. I'm trying to, and I think that's probably why oh, I exaggerate. argue about that so much too. Yeah. I just, I'm figuring this out live. <laughs> <laughs> He's having an epiphany. Yeah. yeah. I exaggerate and I know that I exaggerate, but it's because I'm trying to really just make you understand not you specifically, but you know, you in the general sense, I'm just trying to really make sure that people understand what I mean and what I feel and like how, Mm -hmm. of course I didn't, I don't know, do something a million times. Like, but I say that, oh my gosh, it was like a million times, but it wasn't, it was like two, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but like it felt like way too many or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know what I mean? Like there was, I don't know. That's how I express my feelings, I guess. Yeah. And so that leads into our, uh, me arguing with Sarah regularly because whenever she uses hyperbole like that, it is based in feeling, whereas I'm completely just thinking. Right. And so you call me a liar. Yes. And I say, no, you are lying. And And that makes me angry. Because to exaggerate (laughs) is to lie. To say that I always do something right or that the only conversation we ever have is x then you are lying because we are we have these conversations that prove it yeah <laughs> they're recorded and yeah. then we like i if i always did something then they're like i there wouldn't be any of the other things i can name etc <laughs> uh, he's defending himself right now the thing is, is i that- just i uh, i fully i understand we all exaggerate i it's it's a thing yeah Sarah well anyways that's what happens i lot. exaggerate a lot he calls me a liar i get mad that he's calling me a liar because i very much value my um character and integrity and i'm not a liar and it offends me and so then i start arguing back <laughs> And now we're here. <laughs> yeah, although I never call you a liar. I you just, have literally called me a liar. No, I don't call you a liar to say that you are lying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is another thing I this is another thing we argue about. You say stuff like that and it doesn't matter because it feels the same to me. These sentences while they might be different, you're lying versus you are a liar might be different to you. They're the exact same to me. And a prime example of the head versus the heart. Yeah. Well, anyways, what does all this have to do with this? <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So in Oliver's column, he says, Seen this way, the sensitive student and the thick skin invulnerabilist start to look strangely familiar. Mm-hmm. One seeks to avoid circumstances that might provoke feelings of distress, mm-hmm. and the other seeks to avoid feelings of distress, whatever the circumstances. Mm-hmm. The obvious third alternative is that we it might be possible to feel the distress without it destroying you. Ooh, I have not found that yet. <laughs> uh, by all means, use stoicism or meditation to take the edge off of things, but let go of the goal of eliminating suffering entirely. Mm. Most of us want to feel caught up in the world, and we want to feel gripped by what we do and those we care about, involved with them and taken up by them. The price of this involvement is our vulnerability. Mm. A life in which nothing could hurt would be one in which nothing could matter. Mm. That's interesting. I wrote a thing down the other day, a thought that came to me, and I feel like maybe it applies a little bit because I said, um, my mistake is always in searching for a feeling or a moment that I could live in forever. And like, Mm -hmm. that's where distress and stuff comes from is because you're trying to like hold on to like this one particular feeling or whatever. But the, it's true that you cannot, you can't sustain that. Like life is life and it's going to go up and down and up and down. Right. So I guess I understand what he's saying, but I don't know if I like it. Well, I think you do understand. What, I, I think you agree with what I'm saying. No, I do. I, I do I, agree. I it's again. It's like the the um, holding two opposing yeah. feelings and like having to be okay with the tension between mm-hmm. them. You know, like I I wholeheartedly agree with what he's saying, and I th- I think that that's my belief deep down. Like I 
that's obviously my belief, but like there is a piece of me that's like, yeah, but life should be like just a little bit simpler. You know, like you can make it just like not hurt so much. Like, <laughs> you know? Yes. But I think you would agree with this statement um, that a life not felt is a life not lived. Oh, 100%. I would agree with that. I think that's like basically your motto. I mean, yeah, that's your. I don't want to be alive if I'm not feeling things. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think that you don't seek. I think that you are heavy, heavy on the feeler scale um, and, you know, not trying to have a thick skin, you uh -huh. know, and let things, whatever. But I don't think that you, you are using that to hide your vulnerability. Yeah, I would say that I do a pretty good job of, like, I don't have a thick skin. Like, I'm not invulnerable or I try very hard not to be. I feel like I'm just naturally a I just can't help but like being flooded with emotions sometimes. Um, but yeah, I don't shy away from like things that like if somebody disagrees with me, I don't shy away from that. I'm not like, oh, mm -hmm. I can't talk to you or watch your stand up or, you know, whatever. Like I don't because I think I very much it is a belief of mine that um, to have as many points of view around you as possible is the only way to grow as a human being. And so I just, I very much welcome like different ideas and opinions, even if it's the exact opposite of mine and I don't understand where it's coming from. I'm not like, ooh, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, tell me more. Like, <laughs> like you don't need a trigger warning for every conversation. Right, yeah, I, I don't. Because and you're I not, I guess that's, it's because you're not afraid to feel. I think that that's where, ah. it, that's where it comes in is that if, if you are afraid to feel, yeah. then you need the trigger warning. You you don't want any conversation to conflict with your um, already right because like, you don't know, you know what opinions. it's gonna like drag up. Yeah, like, because you're afraid to feel. Mm, that makes sense. I do think on some levels, sometimes I I can tend toward that, not with um, the world, but like internally. I do feel like I sometimes like avoid myself because I'm afraid of like what I have to feel in order to get past something or you know what I mm -hmm. mean I do feel like I can avoid my own feelings internally but it's not like a <clears throat> I don't really know how to explain it it's like yeah. in a self-love kind of way or like a self-sabotage kind of way <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. I don't really address certain negative thought patterns or whatever about like m myself personally like internally because i i'm afraid that i can't handle all of the crying that i know i'll have to do and i don't want to do it <laughs> hmm. but i don't i don't do that like right externally yeah. yeah you 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 are internally you are afraid of your internal feelings but you're not afraid you seek out external feelings totally yes and maybe I seek out external feelings because it'll give me a little bit of that mm -hmm. sometimes. And like, I'll, I'll be like, yeah, that's, that was enough feeling. I, I got it out of my system without actually having to do the work. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've been thinking about that a little bit. Hmm. I think maybe I like feel things in order to avoid feeling things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, feel. like if a movie makes me cry, I, well, because they, a lot of movies make me cry, but it, it sort of satisfies the like, feelings enough that I don't have to like go off and address my own actual feelings. You don't understand that at all. <laughs> no, I, I, well, I, I wouldn't say I don't understand it. I can't empathize. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't get what that means, like what that feels like. Um, I mean, it is possible that I don't, um, or haven't felt that I, basically, what I'm thinking is I could feel similarly and not know it yet. That's true. Yeah, I guess. You're just like not in tune with your feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say on where I am at on my mental health scale, I don't feel that way. And I feel like I try to feel and I welcome feelings. And I am very interested to um, chisel down, mm -hmm. you know, and find what is underlying and uh, I would love to find a, something that makes me cry. Yeah. Um, you know, I seek that. Um, so I don't feel that I'm hiding 
mm-hmm. like internal or external feelings. I welcome all mm-hmm. um, in any sort of view or opposing, you know, uh, thought or just feeling in general. You know, what good or you know, right? Like experiences, yeah, experiences. good or bad are still um, experiences, right? Yeah, and so I, I definitely seek that, and I don't feel like it's too um, mask like inner feelings I haven't dealt with. I think more so I may seek, well, I mean, I I think I've already said it. I just, I do seek those to uh, understand what internal feelings may feel like um, in that way of just Mm -hmm. like, if I find something that's like, this makes me have a strong emotional reaction. Yeah. I live vicariously through that external stimulation. Yeah. Well, it would be, I guess, sort of the same for me. It just depends on what you're employing the external stimulation to do. Like, does that make sense? Like, I live vicariously through the movie or whatever Mm -hmm. and feel the things so that, you know, depending on, like, what level of health I'm at. Mm -hmm. Like, it, you know, so that I can not have to sit with myself, right? Like, I am sort of, I am using it externally to or live vicariously through it i guess is what i'm saying yeah just in a different way interesting but it all depends on again levels of health like if i'm in a pretty decent mental state then i can 100 percent address myself and like not be afraid of like what stares back at me you know mm. but like the more unhealthy you get the, the harder it is the more unhealthy i get yeah the harder it is to like really look at yourself because you don't want to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's mental health. (laughs) So it just depends. But I do think I operate regardless of my mental health, good or bad or whatever, regardless of whatever scale I operate on feelings and I'm not afraid to feel them. And I'm not afraid to like face somebody who feels the exact opposite of me. And like, I think that there's still something common between every human being. Like, there's this one girl I interviewed a long time ago, and she said uh, about people who like disagree with you. You know, she said, um, the human in you and the human in them would be kind to each other. So I just always try to find that. Like, regardless of everything else, there's like a piece of humanity in each of us that relates to the other Mm -hmm. and so like i just that's kind of how i operate i just like try to find the humanity in another person and like once you find that you can you Mm -hmm. know go from there you don't have to be their friend or anything but Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't have to hate them either yeah yeah i definitely i'm just thinking about in the context of this uh opinion like this article of you basically feeling Mm-hmm. And then me representing the uh, thick skin right. side of it, and just trying to think about what, how how do I react to the world, right? Um, and I definitely have a thick skin, hard exterior when it comes to all, like anything like that. Yeah, of, like things that um, you know are in the news or you know whatever. It's I am hardened to those. Mm-hmm. things but i it's hard to say in my preliminary like uh thinking about it mm-hmm. like whether or not it, it is a healthy or unhealthy level of that yeah i think hmm. as far as like being like hardened to the things in the news or whatever like do you have an example off the top of your head the first things that I think of are just the mass shootings. Oh, and how you don't necessarily feel emotion about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that can be obviously from a lot of things. It can be from um, uh, the, an overabundance of reporting. Like there mm-hmm. is such a thing as <laughs> like, right. like sensationalism and it doles over right. time. You know, there's also like a, well, and maybe it's the same thing, but I do think a lot of people kind of feel the like, how many times am I going to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like how many times can we all go through this, you know? Um, But there's also, I think something to be said maybe about just in general, the news is not like a, 
a healthy place to be around the last however many years, three, Mm -hmm. four years, whatever. Um, And so you, I have definitely like shut down emotions um, and like kind of built walls around like media because it's just like not, is a breeding ground it's a fire it's a dumpster you Mm -hmm. know like i so i think that you might actually feel more than you recognize that you're feeling because um i'm the same way like i put up walls against media um because i just know that like it's just too overwhelming Mm -hmm. so it's not that you're not feeling them it's just well maybe it is you're just not letting yourself feel it like but it's it's more of a um, like a self-defense mechanism, a, yeah. a protection and not because, you know, you don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the new stuff, it can come to like, you just don't have the energy to, to care about this stuff anymore. Like you've gave so much energy to caring about the same thing over and over and over again. And it comes to a point where like, you're just tired. In order to be a healthy human being on a day-to-day basis, you have to, you, every person has a limit. Mm-hmm. you know every person has a limit and i mean there are so many people who are just continually like living in that you know just on twitter all day like getting the updates getting the news getting the whatever and it's it's too exhausting for me to live in it and so i don't yeah and i know that that comes with its own challenges which would be like you know the building of walls and not literally Mm -hmm. in my heart (laughs) figuratively and um and things like that that you have to like kind of navigate or figure out but i i know that i can't be a healthy human being being involved in Mm -hmm. in that stuff so i mean i i have felt the same yeah it's just really uh disheartening i guess because like a the the three thousandth human life taken is as tragic as the first. Oh, for sure. But it's much harder to care about the three three thousandths. Yeah, well, I mean, that's hard. Three three thousand. (laughs) We've had more mass shootings than we've had days in the year. The last, what is it, two or three years in a row. Mm -hmm. Like that, more than one mass shooting every single day. Like that's a lot to, for any one person to really truly feel and like understand you just can't like brains can't even do that not just like hearts and souls Mm -hmm. but brains cannot comprehend that kind of trauma so yeah so taking that taking this back uh to uh thick skin versus feeler and you know that's in the realm of like media and news but another example would just be in offense um somebody you know yeah somebody you don't know uh, a stand-up comedian, whatever, like saying something um, that offends you. Right. And I would say that it is very difficult to offend me. I would agree with that. Um, like I think, it, I mean, you wouldn't have to try hard. Like you can obviously, you know, most people could probably think of something that you like, like I know this would offend you. Like, yeah. I mean, you can offend everybody, but I'm just saying in general, like, I can very much take a joke. Um, Like if people are joking around and people tell jokes at my expense, if that joke is funny, I'm laughing because (laughs) it doesn't offend me. Like it's just, I understand sometimes things are just funny. Yeah. Um, And you have to, you know, laughing at yourself is part of uh, feeling Mm -hmm. Um, because if not, then you're getting angry because, you know, you're trying to avoid, you know, whatever. Anyways, but Mostly saying that, like, I have a thick skin when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, versus, like, you are much eas- more easily offended. I am very, very sensitive to criticism. And I would consider jokes being made at me criticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I don't take that stuff very well. Um, but then what's interesting is when it's, uh, like, stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and it's a performer and they are you know telling jokes and the uh inherent definition of a joke is that it offends somebody right um but you don't get offended by that type of stuff so you have you have no, a I, skin of some sort yeah well i've built it because i did use i um 
I don't know, it was maybe like three or four years ago when I started. First of all, I was never super into comedy. Or it's definitely like stand-ups. Like that was not my thing. Um, I didn't really, I never wanted to go to a comedy cellar of any kind or comedy shows. That was mostly because I was absolutely positive that they were going to make fun of me in the crowd. And that is, I can't think of anything more humiliating like the it's never happened to me but even the thought of it like makes me like hide in a shell and Mm -hmm. like never want to go out in sunlight again like i do not want to be humiliated or embarrassed in front of people and so going to comedy shows was just immediately off my radar but we did go to a dave Chappelle show he came through tulsa it's like four years ago i think and five years ago i don't know and um the whole time he didn't do one bit one line from his rehearsed thing that he wrote he just made fun of the crowd the whole time (laughs) and it was one of the funniest things i have ever watched and i mean i did the whole time feel bad for whoever he was making fun of but i laughed you know like because it was just what you do is and so i think that's when i started thinking about comedy and like Obviously, there have been a lot of conversations in more recent years about the place comedy has and is it okay to make jokes and, you know, what all that stuff. And I think I've just sort of realized that comedy is actually really important to culture. And um, even if I cringe a little bit, because there are still some jokes that I'll cringe, I'll be like, ooh, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I like that, but I never hold it against anybody because I understand the importance of comedy. And I think... Um, the only things that truly make a difference are, th- and the only people that truly make a difference are the ones who are willing to say the things that nobody else will say. Um, like I firmly believe that. I think the people, comedy is vulnerable. It is a vulnerable thing to stand up there and make jokes, maybe even about a people group that you belong to or that you love with your whole heart, but like you're going to make a joke about them because. You know, it's just like what comedy is. And so I don't know. I think I've just really I've realized the importance of of comedy and people who are willing to say something maybe a little bit outrageous um, because that's the only thing that really moves culture forward. Yeah. So I've just I've that's why I've like grown a, a thicker skin, I guess, to comedy because I just realized the importance of it. Yep. And now I really love stand-ups on Netflix. I watch all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to know what you do not have a thick skin about? I probably already know. What is it? Um, any form of criticism about a piece of art that you like. Ooh, that's true. I feel like, but again, I'm capable of fighting to the death for something <laughs> I believe in. And so if you criticize a piece of art... Well, first of all, I feel like you can't criticize art. I know that there's art critics and blah, whatever. Lots of people would disagree with me, but I don't think that art exists to criticize it. I I don't think that you should pick apart a piece of art and like say what's good and what's bad and all that stuff because it's all subjective. You are the only person who thinks that way. Like there are 8 billion people in the world and I just, you know, whatever. So I have like a lot of opinions about art (laughs) is what I'm saying. (laughs) And yes, I will fight you to the death if you disagree with me. (laughs) Yeah. And I, um, on the regular, have a logical criticism of a piece of art or maybe just a uh, a logical um, like... uh, observation of a piece of art. Yeah. And you might be true. You might be right. And but... Sarah feels a certain way about the art and by me saying anything that could be relayed as a criticism, Mm -hmm. then we have a discussion, uh, i.e. argument for many minutes about, uh, you know, that song that happened to, you know, have a bad lyric or that movie that had a bad shot. But also to be fair, I will defend art that I don't even like. That's true. I have, I have 100% gotten into fights with friends uh defending a movie that i didn't even like (laughs) you're like i didn't even like that movie but you have no right to say that about the movie because it's important to somebody and i don't think art is subjective i don't think that there is one right way i i just don't i don't i don't believe in being critical of art i think you cannot like a piece of art there's 
plenty of art that I don't like. But, I mean, <laughs> I don't think I have the right to say it's bad. <laughs> but speaking of the right thing, um, in Oliver's piece, he ends it um, by talking about the, the melding of mm. the you know vulnerabilities of the two. Yeah. Of the two. And it says, one useful thought comes from psychologist Harriet Lerner um, in an interview with New York Magazine who suggests abandoning the thick skin metaphor for a mm-hmm. different one. I picture every person as standing on a platform of self-worth. If it's broad and strong, if you are part of a rich network of relationships, if you have multiple sources of self-esteem, and so on, the bad things will still feel bad, but in a different context. Mm. Resilience of this sort can accommodate pain, so you needn't obsessively avoid its causes, nor squelch it down inside. You can be okay, even when you're not okay. Mm. That's actually really good to, like, a good metaphor, a good uh, image, I guess to you know the the more because it's true like the more friendships you have the better you feel Mm -hmm. the more um if you have hobbies the more hobbies you have the more like i guess diverse the more diverse you can become as a person right like the the more it's going to take to knock something out from under you because i mean that's really what happens like you know if you get offended or whatever if you anxiety depression like all of these things like to not be okay is like something it just like completely wipes you out so maybe like diversifying is mm-hmm. <laughs> is the answer yeah I, I really like that just a platform of self-worth um and essentially we all need to have multiple sources of self-esteem yeah that's really important because how many how many men have you know put their life into this one career job, mm-hmm. right? And then they get laid off at 50 and have no idea what to do with their life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you've heard that story so many times. Or obviously if a loved one passes away or like just something like major happens and then you just don't even know who you are. Yeah. Which like I understand that's going to be a feeling you feel no matter what, but the point is that Right. You have lots of, what did she call it? Lots of working parts mm-hmm. of yourself. Yeah, it, it it's the um, resilience of this sort can accommodate pain. Yeah. You needn't obsessively avoid its causes. Man, resilience though is so important. And I think something we don't talk enough about. Like, I don't know how to, how do you build resilience? Like that seems like such a, unattainable thing that like it just sounds nice but (laughs) (laughs) but what's the practical steps to building resilience you know like but it really what i'm saying is we should talk about it more because i do think that that's true like resilience aids you in dealing with like terrible crap that's happening in your life and still like coming out on top you know Mm -hmm. yeah i think that I mean, basically, it makes me think that the practical steps are essentially that of building a platform of self-worth in that, like, you're figuring out those, like, your self-esteem and self-worth and finding alternate sources and... um, I know, but but that sound, that's so hard. Yeah, I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, if your self-worth is solely based on your external... um, appearance then you know there's all of the problems that come with that in general but like you can't handle anybody saying something bad about your external you know appearance so you know that's an ugly outfit or Mm -hmm. you know you you have a makeup line or something like yeah um, i just feel like um it's how i feel like a lot of people say like negative self-talk really does you know whatever and i do believe it does <laughs> i've i've done it to myself but they're like negative self talk like i just stopped talking to myself negatively and like that helped I'm like how do you just like stop negative trains of thought because honestly they are so subconscious like how do you stop it like it just seems so ethereal to me that's how i feel like about building resilience like what how do you just like find n- ways to feel good about yourself <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I could just feel if it feels like an impossible task. I'm not saying it is impossible. I'm just whenever you're talking about it, like it sounds all nice or whatever. And then my immediate thought is, oh, but how? Yeah. <laughs> that feels like it's going to take 50 years. <laughs> Maybe it will, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? I think that um, my self-worth um, probably was, is too heavily reliant on my um, artistic output or productivity Mm-hmm. You know, the things, um, one that America teaches is that yeah. if we aren't being, you know, uh, productive, then, then you're useless, then you're nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some of that. And then also just some of my own, like, I guess maybe it is all that. And like in the past two years of not going from, you know, producing a lot right in our life in Oklahoma, um, having, you know, uh, multiple career jobs, mm-hmm. my own business, Lots that of type of streams stuff. of creativity. And then going to New York and falling into like the YouTube thing, um, creating the, you know, the three videos a week we were doing at that time and uh, growing quickly um, at, you know, in the beginning like that, like gave me lots of energy because mm-hmm. I think I felt a lot of that self-esteem validation validation coming from that and it was like i'm doing something i'm producing but then as the you know over two years now has gone by and things have never picked up pace Mm -hmm. they've never really slowed down but they haven't like exponentially picked up pace it's not like that one big thing that's like and so it's the same like subscriber growth per month and it's like after two plus years having um, a decent amount of subscribers, but not having enough to make it my career mm-hmm. um, makes me feel worthless. Yeah. Because I am not, I am working so hard at what I'm doing, but making so little money. Right. So I'm not fulfilling my manly duty mm-hmm. in, you know, my uh, cultural context. Right. Um, to like, what I'm supposed to. Yeah. Because like taking I'm, care of. The house or whatever. Because I'm not taking care financially of us. And then that like plays into that. And then whenever I try new things, I try, you know, working uh, harder or different or more efficient on certain things and nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Then that chips away more at that self-esteem. Right. Um, And then when it gets to a dire point like it is now of we have to make this thing work or uh like give up um almost like it's not quite that point but it is the point where i can i have to get other regular work Mm -hmm. um and take time away from creating the art and things that we are creating to make money because all the things i've been working so hard at over the last two years aren't doing that Mm -hmm. And so now that it's hit that dire point, uh, I think I feel the most worthless, like I felt almost maybe my whole life. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that is, I feel like very heavy and like depressed in this season of this transition, even though like it's super exciting and super like, we're doing all these new things and I'm like, uh, I'm able to escape in all these different projects. Right. Um, but nothing has changed like in me providing mm-hmm. and that sense of like not being able to do that, I think is, uh, it making me feel. It's weighing on you. Yeah. It's weighing on me. And I think just thinking about that pillar of self-esteem just thinking that through, I think that my pillar had a very large portion mm-hmm. based on my uh, output. Yeah. And or my, my, well, more so my ability to make money. Yeah. I think is probably the biggest thing if, if to really dumb it down. My ability to make money was directly tied, is directly tied to and how I, I feel about myself. I would say that's very evident from early 20s. I mean, how many jobs did 
<laughs> and not just jobs, but like things that you were building. It wasn't like, oh, I'll get a job here and I'll get mm-hmm. a job here. You were creating jobs for yourself. Right. I, I mean, I was creating jobs for myself. And lots of other people. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was creating jobs for myself as a preteen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like from, well, definitely since I've known you, but even before that, you have always created jobs for yourself. And so like going from, you know, adolescence, creating jobs for myself and making money, feeling great about that, then going into my adult life, being, um, making money, starting businesses that, you know, are, uh, successful in Mm -hmm. my eyes. And like, it is bringing in the income that makes me feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. And so I had never experienced in my basically life. If, yeah. if you want to, you know, take away my childhood, like in my conscious life, mm-hmm. I have never been at a point where I'm not able to make money in the way that I want to. Right. And I'm at a point now where I can't. Yeah. Or I'm not. Right. Yet. Right. Um, like it's not there. Yeah. And well, and it didn't I would get say, there in the timeline that normally. Right. It gets there for you. And the Usually thing, you I think start the, a business and it's like six months right. or whatever, you know. And I think the thing that hurts me the most is that fact that it, the, the, it's really I'm not making enough money yet. Mm-hmm. But it, since it's been so long mm-hmm. and I, it has morphed in my head mm-hmm. to I can't make money right. doing right, what I want. The truth is, is that you can take as many hits as you want, but every hit. It hurts. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) it's not, you know what I mean? Like, there's obviously something to be said about resilience and blah, 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 like we were just talking about. But but the truth is, is that life is going to hit you. And it's not always going to be great. Right. (laughs) Sometimes it's going to actually hurt and knock you back a few steps, you know? I think that's currently where we are. Yeah, I think that that's definitely the spot that I'm at, like, uh, mentally is or where my feelings are at I yeah guess. what i said i was um texting a friend the other day and i sort of equated like the way i was feeling obviously we've talked about this but the way i've been feeling with like everything and anxiety and all of that to uh like it just feels like i'm standing in quicksand and like i can just feel myself sinking but slowly mm-hmm. <laughs> So I like I feel like I I feel myself going down, but I can't do anything to stop myself mm-hmm. from going down. You know, that's like kind of how it feels right now. Yeah, and it's basically it's like if, if taking that metaphor and appropriating it for like what I was saying in the last two years of like I've been sinking for two years and now you're like at chest level but now i'm like at (laughs) chin level you're like i'm not gonna be able to breathe in about two seconds yeah and so that like that weight you know yeah and that pillar like my foundation it is revealing to me Mm -hmm. my foundation of self-worth or like what is in big part the foundation of my self-worth yeah is my ability to make money yeah so it's hard to reorient too like yeah. once you learn that, not, then you have to go about changing it. <laughs> and again, how do you do that? Like how do you just decide that like however much money you make doesn't equate to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like that's a really hard thing, especially, I mean, I assume in most of the world, but because I live in America, that's the only context I have, especially in America, where like money and productivity is is king like it, mm-hmm. i mean that's just how it is and so like how do you decide that you're fine without it or without the number that you wish you had you know what i mean right. like i don't how do you just be like meh i'm okay what <laughs> i don't know how that works i don't either i don't have an answer all i know is uh this podcast is over um, yeah, we talked guys, about feelings. Yep, we felt, we felt, we feel, we felt. Um, earlier, I mentioned that my favorite movies are ones that make me feel. And if you were wondering what those are, um, <laughs> the way way back yeah. is one that two ways. There yes. is a the way back, and that's not the no, one. It is called the way way back, and is with Steve Carell, um, Sam Rockwell, and Sam Rockwell. Um, that movie is, you know, it 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 it's a great movie. It's a great movie. But it's not like, you know, some best picture, you know, thing. But 
it always makes me tear up. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain Fantastic um, is another movie that uh, is r- always it is so regularly brilliant. Makes me tear up. Yeah, it's great. Um, those are two that come to the top of my head of which ones actually make me feel. Jensen's recommend. Yeah. So thank you for listening to this episode of Deeply Curious. If you would like to learn more about the Jensen AV Club and how you can get deeper access, exclusive content, you can do that by going to jensenav.club. All right. That's our show, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.